On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we head to glacier country to marvel over Franz Joseph and Fox. Sticking with the great outdoors, when was the last time you took a drive on the Haast Pass Highway? The Tourism Export Council join us to talk about industry morale in the wake of the La Laparouse debacle, and we celebrate New Zealand's tastiest signature treats. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters, I'm Mike Yardley. Hi there, I'm Chris Lynch. Happy New Year of the Ox, by the way. The Chinese Lunar New Year has dawned upon us. Yes, and let's hope it is prosperous and peaceful and a happy year ahead as we navigate our way through this COVID world, Chris. I'm looking forward to heading out and seeing all the wonderful Chinese festival that do happen or does happen in Christchurch. Now let's start uh, today's uh, programme with Travelling Deep South on the Haast Pass Highway, which of course is a critical route linking the West Coast to Central Otago. Haast, though, I didn't know this, is our youngest mountain highway, right? That is true, Chris. Um, it was the last Alpine Pass to be constructed over the Southern Alps. So if you do take a bit of a drive through it, you may feel it has a sense of final frontier about it. Um, it's a 140-kilometre uh, uh, romp connecting, as you say, Central Otago with the coast. It's a romp, a road romp, Chris. I would actually rate it as one of my favourite road trips. Mm. Um, In terms of it being young, the amazing thing is this highway, the Haast Pass, was only fully sealed 25 years ago, which is quite incredible when you think about it. Mm. But as a day trip, uh, yeah, the Alpine aesthetics are obviously bolder in winter with the snow, but even during summer, the higher peaks around Haast Pass are still topped and it in really, snow. And it really does kind of feel like traditional um, New, Zealand New Zealand country, doesn't it, in a way? Yeah, it does. Um, and obviously, if you are heading from Wanaka, that is its sort of southern entrance, and you will see the highway turn off just out of town from Wanaka, and uh, then you head up. Uh, to its neighbouring lake, Lake Hawea. Uh, and there are a stack of roadside lookouts between the two lakes, which um, are probably best demonstrated at a place called The Neck. And this is the thinnest sliver of land that manages to just keep these two twin giant lakes apart. But back in the day, they were actually joined together. I really like Lake Hawea, and I think it is really overshadowed by Lake Wanaka. But if you go to Hawea, you go and have a look at the water. It is absolutely gin clear, iridescent water, like liquid Mm. cellophane. It is absolutely gorgeous, pebbled beaches, and uh, really popular with anyone into water sports, you know, whether it's boating, jet skiing, you name it. I like the way you said that, um, what did you say, liquid cellophane? Yeah. That's a really good description. You're so right there. I've been working on that all day. No, I like that, liquid cellophane. I'm going to use that. Uh, Let's flick through to some of the unmissables now, starting with Makaroa. Yeah, beyond the lakes, as you head further north, uh, you enter what I would call Heidi country. It's um, like a big sprawling valley, the Makaroa Valley. It's sort of like a a Swiss-style valley where you've got magnificent peaks either side of you and this big 
big green pastoral valley. Um, a really good stop is the Makarora Country Cafe. And it's one of those quirky roadside stops in New Zealand where they've got the most fabulous collection of stuff. And what they specialise in at the Country Cafe um, are overseas Rego plates, most of them are from the United States and they've been gifted to the cafe over the years by visitors and it's sort of like gone viral in time. So the walls of this cafe are absolutely plastered with car license plates from all over the place. It's really cool. Now, what about the blue pools? This is probably the most popular, most Instagrammed site uh, in the Makarora Valley. They are a stunner, these blue pools, and it's a really easy walk from the roadside through Silver Beach Forest, uh, then across boardwalks and a swing bridge. The pools are absolutely thronging with massive brown and rainbow trout. Mm. And once again, the, the clarity of the water in these blue pools um, is just absolutely breathtaking and just the most beautiful turquoise hues uh, in the water. And then from uh, the Blue Pools, the highway, the Hast Pass Highway, enters the Mount Aspiring National Park, and you will notice signposts um, popping up continuously for various waterfall walks. Now, speaking of waterfall tracks, there are so many that uh, are Instagrammable yeah. and photographinal. Oh, you can... New, new word, photographinal. Oh, that's Chris's contribution for the day, folks. Thank you. Um, yes, no, there are so many, but uh, the ones that I would say are must-stops, Fantail Falls, and even though you'll notice a few fantails on the walking track, the actual name uh, was inspired by the fact that the base of the fantail sort of splays out like the bird's uh, tail. Um and then Thunder Creek is my favourite. It's like the king of the Cascades, Thunder Creek, hurtling straight down into the Haast River. And it's this huge vertical drop, a good noisy gusher for you, Chris. And as um, you look at the top of the waterfalls of Thunder Creek, you can see the tree line, and that actually denotes where the glacier used to be, you know, um, under uh, b- before the ice age ended. So it gives you a quite a quite a self-explanatory geography lesson when you're at Thunder Creek as well. And then there's Roaring Billy, which is another fabulous uh, waterfall, which you reach through a grove of tree ferns. Um, it's a really enchanting walk, that Roaring Billy track. Wetter workshops could not improve on it. It's so gorgeous. Now, what's so special about the, the gates of Haast? Yeah, well, you're right in the teeth of the Haast Pass when you get to the gates of Haast. It's quite a dramatic name, and it's a really dramatic setting as well. And this is where the highway precariously crosses the Haast River, and either side of you are just massive vertical rock walls, gigantic boulders of tumbling schist, and also, adding to the whole drama of it, you are crossing the Alpine Fault. Um, So it's all quite a menacing sight, this river bridge across um, this boulder-strewn section of the Haast River, and as you watch that water barrel through the gorge, it is like a freight train of water. Mm. The power of it is really quite majestic. Now, before heading into Glacier Country, what about diverting west? Thank you. 
Yes, well, obviously, as you go further north on the Haast Pass Highway, you do eventually enter the West Coast proper, but um, Haast Township is really the last stop before you enter the likes of Franz Joseph and Fox. If you have time for a side uh, trip from Haast Township, you can scoot down to the Tasman Sea, to Jackson Bay, which... um, the locals will tell you is where you will find the best blue cod and the best groper in New Zealand. They rave about it. Um, and also there is a neighbouring bay to Jackson Bay, Bruce Bay, which has an awesome collection of rock, rock sculptures uh, that you know passers-by will create rather organically adjacent to the crashing surf. I feel a bit guilty because I know that you can stay in the Haast Township. There yeah. is plenty to do and it's one of those places that you can just drive past and go, oh, that's Haast. But yeah. You're here to tell us today not to do that, right? I I would break it up, yeah. I mean, if you want to have like a more slow, scenic day through the Haast Pass Highway before you get to Glacier Country, give yourself a break, a bit of a recharge, and stay the night in Haast Township. The Heartland Hotel there is fantastic. The on-site restaurant is just like a celebration of local kai. So you've got, you know, Jackson Bay seafood, chowder on the menu, West Coast whitebait, Mount Cook salmon. Uh, the whitebait comes out of uh, the, the Haast River. So she's uh, very fresh whitebait, Chris. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. Now, if you're driving north on the Haast Pass Highway, Glacier Country is next up the line. Mike, how quiet has the summer season been for Friends and Fox? That's been... Well, it's been a nervous time for many of the operators there, right? Totally. And I think the general tale of the tape seems to have been that um, straight out of Christmas, the first couple of weeks through to about the 7th, the 8th of January, were booming in a lot of these places like uh, Fox Glacier, Franz Joseph, further down the line, Wanaka, Queenstown, Fiordland. And then it's like the whole tourist trade fell off the cliff. Um, And I was there the third week of January in Franz and Fox. It was virtually deserted. It was like a ghost town. Mm, That's very, very sad. And it was quite surreal because last time I'd been there would have been two or three years ago, once again in like late January, and those townships were absolutely heaving with international tourists and group tours. Those main streets, you know, were sort of overloaded Mm. with people. So it's gone from one extreme to the other. But I would have to say as we head into uh, autumn, uh, the novelty of having this corner of New Zealand to ourselves is likely to last most of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't believe that we will have this sort of novelty for long. So if you do want to uh, take in the glorious nature of Franz Joseph and Fox without the crowds, do it now, do it this year, because it's not going to last this bizarre situation we are in. Um, Those glaciers are just incredible, the way that they plunge down from the Southern Alps and end up almost at sea level and so close to the sea. That's what overseas tourists were always amazed about by our glaciers. Uh, There are very few places in the world where you will find glaciers so close to the ocean. And there are so many different ways you can commune with these ribbons of ice. Uh, If you just want to walk it from the valley floor, Obviously, the glaciers have retreated a bit over the years, but you can get to the viewpoints of both glaciers within about 30 to 45 minutes on foot. I'm glad you said that uh, get involved with the discounts because you're right, they won't last. Things Mm. will get back to normal. Yeah. And you will kick yourself for not 
doing some of these amazing um, tourist attractions yeah. while they are cheap because, you know, they still need to make money. They do. And um, there are just so many soft adventure options in terms of getting more intimate and up close with the glaciers that you can pick and choose from. You may want to try your hand at heli hiking or heli ice climbing, um, but even just a scenic flight. I know you've done scenic flights over mm. those glaciers, Chris. Even if you want to do like a scenic flight, say from Franz Joseph up the glacier and around the Southern Alps, around Mount Cock. At the moment, a lot of those sort of flights are being routinely sold for under one hundred dollars, mm, and you won't get that every year. Absolutely. Well, you know, go Very back twelve true. months uh, from now, and they would have been selling for three hundred dollars. So once again, grab this novelty bargain while you can, um, and if you really want to get close. Uh, an intimate with blue ice. A lot of people go on and on and on about one of nature's great illusions, blue ice. Um, you can do those heli ice climbing tours also at heavily discounted prices at the moment. Now, what about accommodation? What do you recommend? Well, speaking of specials, um, there is this fabulous place in Franz Joseph Glacier called Te Wainui Forest Retreat. It's actually owned by the Scenic Hotel Group, but it's probably their um, signature experience because it's, five-star luxury, and um, traditionally very expensive to stay at. But once again, they've slashed their prices, and I was just having a look on their website just before we had our chat, and you can you can grab a night there through sort of March, April for about $200, $240 a night. Previously, you would have had to pay five $600 mm. to stay there, and it's a fantastic experience because the way that it was built was just so ingenious. They've got like this private tract of – ancient rainforest in the middle of their hotel. So the hotel wings have been built around it. It's like a forest courtyard, but it's massive and it's just absolutely full of bird life. So, yeah, for a really elemental stay... Uh, at one with nature, Chris. Yes. Tay Wainui is the place to go. Now, did you check out the magical mirror image that is, of course, at Lake Matheson? And oh, did you get a good photo? Because my no. one was a bit, bit dodgy. I know. I um, was not in the good box with the weather gods. Mm. Uh, they conspired against me. But, yeah, I mean, it is luck of the draw. If you do want to try and get that perfect mirror reflection, there are two things you need. You mm. need, obviously, a clear sky, but equally important, you need a calm day. Yeah, it's all about the calmness. I, I You're so right about that. Otherwise, there's no mirror at all. No, mm. the wind will ruffle the water. So your best bet is absolutely first thing in the morning. That is when it's more likely to be calm. Yes, well, that won't be happening with me. Thank you. <laughs> um, or twilight when hopefully the wind dies down. Mm. But the only problem with the early morning is quite often there's a lot of mist and uh, cloud mm. uh, around the Southern Alps early morning. So you take your chances. You might strike it lucky, but whether you've got uh, the mirror magic or not, it is still a really special place. Now, what and, about the wildlife? Yeah, the wildlife is also um, a growing attraction. And interestingly, at Lake Matheson, for the first time um, I've noticed this on my recent visit, uh, there are signs uh, pointing out that you are now actually in a kiwi habit habitat. because oh, yes, I saw that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so just in the last couple of years, there's been quite a concentrated effort to try and boost the population of one of our kiwi species called 
the Rawi. And I think previously the Rawi had been dubbed the South Island Brown Kiwi, but it's actually now classified as a subspecies. And they've released heaps of these Rawi into the area very close to Lake Matheson. Um, and the population has has been coming back uh, really strongly in recent years. A lot of the work for that is being done actually at um, the West Coast Wildlife Centre in Franz Josef, which you can go and visit. It's fabulous. Kids absolutely love it. And just one very other, one very quick um, other tip on the wildlife front. I know we've talked about um, the white heron nesting colony uh, at Fataroa, which is about 20 minutes from Franz Josef. If you do want to see the white heron mm. uh, nesting, Ma Pa and the chicks, uh, they generally will stay in that nesting colony by Fataroa until uh, the end of February. So you haven't got long left. You might get lucky and they might still be there in early March. Um, but um, 20 minutes from Franz Joseph, that's something else to bear in mind. You like your white herons, don't you? I do. I think they're the most incredible birds. They are the ballerinas of the bird world, Chris. Tell us, tell me more. <laughs> Coming up, we road trip through the rest of New Zealand in celebration of the country's tastiest signature treats. And uh, Linda Keane from Tourism Export Council will discuss what the tourism industry is expecting from the government in the wake of the latest debacle. Of course, yes, uh, the, the ships coming in. Yes, the ships yes. that can't come into New Zealand. That and more. Still to come. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Mike Yardley. The abrupt cancellation of the New Zealand's summer cruising season for the Ponon chartered La La Perouse luxury small ship has been a hell of a body blow, not just for the cruise industry, but it's also triggered widespread dismay across the wider travel and tourism sector uh, at the government's perceived heavy handedness. So, where to here for the restart of cruising in our waters? And what about the wider industry? Is the government really in tune with the challenges facing many travel and tourism operators? Joining us is Linda Keane, who is the Chief Executive of the Tourism Export Council of New Zealand. Linda, very good to have you aboard. Thanks for joining us. Kia ora, Mike. Lovely to be here. Obviously, there's been a huge amount of media attention in the whole Le La Perouse debacle. Um, and I know, obviously, the cruise industry were keen to see domestic cruising morph into perhaps a Tasman cruise bubble as the next step. Um, how concerned are you that, given the actions we've seen from the government over the Ponon Charter, uh, those hardline positions on visa approvals may continue with respect to international crew and staff? Yes, um, it's, it is an indicator that is quite worrying because, you know, 12 months ago we were looking at how can we look at the safe return of international travellers. For domestic cruising, that seemed like the first step, you know, and let's test the waters um, to see how how it's going to work with people um, on a cruise ship um, and then how we can start to develop a phased-in return of international visitors from other countries. So to be given a, a green light uh, last year was very encouraging that the government had some sort of plan. Um, you know, we've been very concerned that that hasn't been articulated to the international tourism sector. Um, so to have that change a wee bit has now given us more cause for concern that perhaps the government is just going to let the whole international tourism sector, which is $17 billion to the economy, um, 
go. And so we, we're really trying hard to meet with ministers and um, our agency of, of MB um, to like talk some of these issues through. You know, we, we feel we're ready. We feel we've put the right protocols in place through all our airports, obviously through the cruise ships and the ports. Um, but we just want to sit down face to face and discuss this a little bit further because if the government isn't going to develop a, flat, a plan for the $17 billion return of international visitors, it's the taxpayer that's going to have to pick up that gap. Mm. Um, there's, there's no way the economy, um, with international tourism being New Zealand's largest export sector pre-COVID, and it has for many years um, with dairying number two, there's no way our economy is going to be able to be able to cope um, with a $17 billion gap uh, in the next few few years to come. Let me just uh, pick up on a few concerns I know that uh, you and the council have. For starters, the misunderstanding about inbound tour operators and how important their role is in essentially being ambassadors for this country yes. and attracting a huge amount of business, you know, leisure travel and so forth into this country. What is an inbound tour operator? An inbound tour operator is a company that acts just like Fonterra. It is the conduit between the offshore markets with our tour wholesalers and agents. As an example, a UK supermarket that might want to purchase butter and cheese from New Zealand, and then also the New Zealand tourism suppliers. So Fonterra acts between the New Zealand farmer and the offshore market dis- distribution systems. That's exactly what an inbound tour operator does. It, it creates that commercial transaction, that commercial link or bridge to what our offshore visitors and uh, markets need and then marrying it up with the product and their visitor experiences on shore. So with inbound tour operators, we bring in 55% of all international visitors. There is going to be a high demand in the future. So we're saying to the government, um, are, are you prepared to put at risk $9.5 billion that's already in the system Are you prepared to let that go? Because at the moment, you can't quite see yourself giving financial support to inbound to operators, um, aside from 26 inbounds that have been given a a loan. But we really need these to grant. If there is no commercial conduit for Mm. when the government announces when the border is ready uh, to reopen, um, the recovery will take five to ten years versus perhaps three to five years. So they're absolutely a vital asset in in the whole distribution system. Now, the reason I said misunderstanding in my previous question is because, as I'm sure you are aware, um, just a week or so ago, the the new tourism minister, Stuart Nash, when asked about um, the Tourism Export Council's request for, uh, for extra funding, you know, to tide us through this uh, tough period, seem to suggest inbound tour operators are just travel agents, to use his word. Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, I don't mean to get too political here, Linda, but I just thought, boy, um, maybe there's a bit of homework that the minister needs to do here. How open is his door? How open are the government's doors to getting a better understanding and rebuilding trust and confidence. Yeah. Um, the door is open. We're still waiting for our meeting with Minister Nash and a number of other ministers. Um, there's, there is definitely a misunderstanding. An inbound to operators brings visitors and revenue into New Zealand. Yeah. 
a retail travel agent, you and I, if we want to go to Fiji, want to go to Greece or the US, a retail travel agent does bookings that takes money and people out of New Zealand. So they're part of the distribution system, but mm. not in this context. Um, and so that is it's an e- ongoing education process for mainstream New Zealand as, as well as our government agencies and ministers. But yeah, the, the key word is inbound, whereas retail travel agents are outbound. <laughs> <laughs> what tops your wish list when it comes to government action? I think we need a, an international tourism recovery plan that, that is from 21 to 2025. So it's this very short to medium term. There doesn't appear to be a plan at the moment. We're very happy to work with government and the agencies on that. The wish list is to protect that conduit, that commercial conduit, which is the inbound to operators. So at the moment, 26 inbounds. There's about 120 in New Zealand. They've been offered a, a loan, a, a five-year loan. We would really like those to be converted into grants to be similar to all the other tourism assets uh, that have received um, assistance. We'd also like um, transport and accommodation operators that um, have just been not part of this whole process at all. Again, transport is so critical and accommodation because they're the infrastructure that helps guide and transport people around New Zealand safely. Um, and also with the airlines, we're very keen to support the Board of Airlines um, New Zealand to uh, go to government and ask for them to increase their funding support uh, for international aviation uh, with the freight scheme. Because what's going to happen, Mike, um, is that there's 10 existing airlines flying into New Zealand. When we get an intention date from the government, it'll be those airlines that will uh, fill the front of the plane with visitors to support the freight and cargo at the back of the plane. Now, if the government can have a plan to um, help us to do that, it actually means the government is providing less subsidy with the freight cargo part of the operation. So we're just saying, please partner with us. We have many, many years' experience in international tourism. Um, just please let us partner and engage with us. We just want to sit down face-to-face. We have not had that opportunity um, in probably the last six months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, we will certainly keep an eye on progress, and I'm uh, being sunny side up. There will be progress. And, of course, the sooner we can get the Aussies back into New Zealand, the better. That would be a nice uh, uh, step. Um, Linda, thank you very much for your time and all the very best with your intrepid efforts uh, in this in this crazy period of our lives. But uh, I'm sure better days are to come, and we'll keep in touch. Lovely. Thank you, Mike. Awesome. Thank you, Linda. Finally, on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, you always do this to me, Mike. We always talk about tastiest signature Kiwi treats. And I don't know why you do this to me because I'm going to feel very hungry because we're going to look at some of the iconic tastes you can weave into your great New Zealand road trip. Yes, because I was thinking, Chris, no matter where we travel, food, kai, um, is an essential dimension. Mm -hmm. It often often forms our best memories of a place, what we ate there. And what has struck me, on a very reflective note, uh, since uh, COVID changed our world, tripping around the country, I am constantly astounded at how many signature, tasty treats abound across New Zealand. And so so you know what I mean. 
For example, there are like seasonal treats. A good uh, specimen would be the chocolate eclair shop in Awakune, which oh, caters yes. to the skiers. So you can't get the chocolate eclairs over summer, but you can in winter. And then you've got like your cultish folklore status uh, specimens like Ferg Burger in Queenstown. Which now, I've never been able to try that because every time I'm in Queenstown, uh, it's always too busy and I'm not prepared to wait. Now's the time, Well, Chris. this is true. Now's the time. But these are like landmarks on a plate. You know, they're destinations on a plate. So what we've done is we've assembled a bit of a list here of what we think are some of New Zealand's greatest, tastiest holiday treats. Um, it is not an exhaustive list and you may have some you may want to share with us as well uh, on our Facebook page and so yeah, forth. Make sure you do that. Now let's start with, can we start with chocolate destinations please? Because yes. you're talking about chocolate eclairs. So what do you got for me please? Well I know this is going to be highly contentious because we actually are blessed with so many amazing chocolate makers around New Zealand. Uh, my favourite though is Shock Chocolate in Greytown and Wairanapa. They get my gold star because, first of all, their setting is incredible, the super cute colonial cottage on the main street of Greytown. That's where it's always been based. Um, their handmade gourmet chocolates and unusual flavour combinations are just so extensive, um, and they do incredible stuff at Christmas time as well. First runner-up, yes. Makana Confections and Kiri Kiri. Uh, what I really like about them is you can see the production process through the glass windows and then they will give you free tastings. They have a really good chocolate cafe too. And alongside their flagship factory in Kirikiri, they also have a sister branch of Makana in Blenheim. You missed a place. There's a good chocolate shop in Parnell in Auckland that do, that do yes. really good hot chocolates. Yes, but what's I it called? I had no idea. Oh, well, it doesn't count then. No, true. <laughs> we like our cheeses, don't we? We are a bit of a nation of cheeses. I've recently got myself into cheese. I didn't really like, but I'm uh, maybe... Maybe as you get older, you start to, uh, uh, yes, I think know. it becomes more agreeable to your palate. Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, it's a sign of ageing, Chris. Thank you, Mike. Yes. South Island Cheese Festival, that's on in... in that um, was on recently in Blenheim. Blenheim, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of fantastic cheese available in Marlborough. But I reckon if I had to pick one essential experience, it would be once again in the wider upper, Featherston Say Cheese. And Say Cheese house the most gobsmacking range of gourmet New Zealand cheeses. Um, and it's actually a really good indication when you go to say cheese how ridiculously um, obsessive we are about cheeses because there are so many gourmet labels made in this country. And also at say cheese, 10% of the cheeses that they sell on site are actually made on site oh, under wow. their own label, Rimataka Pass. Um, and they've got a fantastic cheese bar there where you can tuck into all sorts of cheesy delights. Um, if you're heading deep down south, because when I say cheese, you may think cheese roll. Where's the best place to go for a oh, cheese yes. roll in Southland? Yes. I would say Invercargill's Batch Cafe in Space Street. Well, I hope that makes people feel good because I know that a lot of people like cheese rolls. There'll be yes. competition on this. Yes. Um, oh, seafood. I'm not a big fan of seafood myself, but I know you like your, a decent bit of fish. I do. Where do you reckon, what's the first place that comes to mind when I say seafood destination? Bluff. Oysters. Oysters, right. It's okay. got to be. Mm -hmm. The best tasting oysters in the world. Mm -hmm. um, once again, it is a bit seasonal, this one, obviously. Mm. But if you are heading to Southland any time between March and August, uh, that is harvest time. And if you want to get the freshest tasting bluffies uh, battered for you with some chips, go to Fowler's Oysters Shop 
on Ocean Beach Road in Bluff. The taste of heaven. Speaking of um, things like that, fish and chip shops in New Zealand are like a religion, right? Mm. I reckon the best fish and chip shop in our country is Bobby's Fresh Fish Market in Tauranga. And the reason I think it's the best is because it is like the zero kilometre meal. Their fish shop is based on the fishing wharf. Wow. So the fishing boat rocks up to the wharf, boom, into the oven. You know, it's like yeah, that's cool. that is just so local. Um, and Havelock, if you like your mussels, you've got to go to Mills Bay Mussels Tasting Room and Eatery. Uh, that's by the Havelock Marina. It is just superb. And obviously, if you're tripping along State Highway 1 around Kaikoura, Nin's Bin for a fresh catch of cray, <laughs> Kaikoura crayfish, you can't go wrong. I'll take your word now. Um, Barkers of Geraldine would have to be on the list. Thank you. I Definitely. had a party recently, yeah, and I had so many Barkers products because it tastes homemade. It doesn't yes. taste synthetic-y, sort yeah. of overprocessed, mass-produced rubber. It's beautiful. Yeah. Everything. I've it got is. myself into their chutneys now. Yeah. Well, they have got the most mind-boggling product range. I think last time I checked, they've got about six hundred items in their. Catalog. 600. So syrup, sauces, preserves, wow. chutneys, jams, smoothies, you name it, Chris Lynch, you'd be into it like a robber's dog. And the really cool thing, and I think we may have mentioned this last year actually on Kiwi Tripsters, if you go to Geraldine, Barkers have now, just in the last year or so, opened this awesome new food store in Eatery, mm. right in the heart of Geraldine. So there's lots of complimentary tasting stations. Well, that sounds good. Lunch then. Yes, and I've got an on-site um, eatery. So the idea of the eatery is that it actually is a great opportunity to fuel your inspiration on what to do with their uh, products range because – um, you can try it uh, on the eatery menu. Just one last tip, by the way. If you are heading to Nelson with kids, a bit like Barkers of Geraldine as like this amazing attraction in itself, Picks Peanut Butter World. Kids go gaga at Picks Peanut Butter World because the factory tour also gives you the opportunity to make your own peanut butter. Well, this is good. Uh, and obviously kids love that. And, of course, they're such an innovative company, Pix. Uh, you may have heard recently they've got this new venture underway with Whitakers to produce Pix peanut and chocolate butter, which is a bit like having a peanut slab on your toast for breakfast. Doesn't that sound decadently good? Yeah, it does, actually. Peanut perhaps slab on like toast. A, perhaps on pancakes or pikelets. Oh, that's true. Now yeah. we're talking. Yes. Uh, let's talk about uh, Roxborough. Yes. Uh, you've got some more tips on there. Just uh, a couple of very last uh, couple of tips here. Jimmy's Pies. I thought we need to mention New Zealand pies because we all yes. love our pies. But if you are heading deep down south in Roxborough and Clutha country, they pump out 25,000 pies a day at Jimmy's Pie Shop. Most of them are sold around the lower South Island. But just to um, point out how incredibly productive this pie shop is, 25,000 pies a day is 48 times Roxburgh's population. Isn't that cool? Um, and they, <laughs> <laughs> they actually pump out 20 different pies as well. And finally, a Den Heath Custard oh, Square. Oh, these are good. You can get these at the supermarkets in Christchurch. Only you the can. fancy ones, thank you very much. Only the fancy ones. Yes. Um, they are the Rolls Royce of Custard Squares. Yeah, they are. And they began life in the former post office building in Pleasant Point, South Canterbury. That's where they were first made. In more recent years, they are produced out of a purpose-built kitchen in Timidon. 
do. But yeah, they are mm. uh, sold across uh, discerning New Zealand supermarkets. They are now exported worldwide uh, because they are so fluffy, so high rise, so melt in your mouth, rich and creamy. Uh, they Anything are one else? of life's greatest pleasures, Chris. Now, I think they sell them at your local supermarket, don't they? They do. I'm there every week. Yes, I can tell. Lining up for the Den Heath. Oh, they're beautiful. Very, yes, nice. Rich Look, and creamy. Yeah. yeah. I want my, see, we shouldn't have done this segment because now I'm very, very hungry. Yes, am I? I'm off to get a pie, some oysters possibly. No, it's too early for I'm oysters. To toast. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Kiwi Tripsters. Really enjoyed your company. If you've got some signature New Zealand treats yeah. that we've missed on our proverbial road trip here around um, iconic eateries, um, let us know um, either on our Facebook page um, or, of course, you can also visit our website, kiwitripsters.co.nz. Plus, we'd love for you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice, and we hope to catch you again real soon in a couple of weeks' time. Have a great day. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.